Well, it's a privilege for me to be here tonight. Uh, I was warned in previous years that this could be you up here in this pulpit. And I said, no, that'll never happen to me. <laughs> that'll never happen to me. And uh, it was an unexpected surprise when I got the invitation this year. And I had a strategy when I got the invitation to speak. I figured if I waited long enough, all these spots would fill up and I wouldn't have to come up. And it didn't work out that way. Pastor Oxford kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And sure enough, there was an opening on this date. And it worked out perfectly because we leave for Alaska next week for fair evangelism. So it's a great privilege of mine. People told me this pulpit can be very intimidating. And uh, it's it's familiar monitor for me, the same as Grand Rapids. So that's really neat. But I guess some advice from a friend that really... Uh, stuck to my thinking. You know, I get to see a lot of you guys at family camp. Uh, I see some familiar faces out there, and we had fun in the water and on the tube, and I get to drive the boat. One of the, the greatest luxuries is to be the captain of the boat. And this advice I got was, just like driving the boat, Mike, put the throttle down. No risk, no story. And I just, I just love that. Just love that. So what we're looking at tonight is this book of Jude. So if you want to turn over with me to the book of Jude, I titled this message, Will You Earnestly Contend for the Faith? We're going to be looking at Jude verses 1 through 4. Jude verses 1 through 4. You know, the study of the book of Jude has been uh, very encouraging for me, myself. This is right in my wheelhouse. This is where I was born and raised. And Jude is writing this letter to these saints outside this area of Jerusalem. And he's encouraging these believers, exhorting these believers to earnestly contend for the faith which they had received, the truth of the gospel. Why? Because false teachers are going to come in and they're going to try to twist this grace, this undeserved kindness into license to sin. And they even are going to deny the Lord Jesus Christ, the deity of God. I want to share with you a story by way of introduction. There was a group of men and women that lived in a small community up here in northern Minnesota, a small logging community. And these people had a desire to be saved. They searched the local churches, which was only one, and at that local church they told them they had to be good enough to go to heaven. Their their good works had to outweigh their bad works. And... Back in the late 60s in this small community, that was virtually impossible. These men and women heard a traveling evangelist that come through the area. <clears throat> and this evangelist shared the gospel with them. Been, these men heard John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And he shared Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, which was a verse that really struck them, these people. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And they believed that message. They took that message to heart. They trusted Christ their Savior. It took some more time for certain people, but they trusted Christ their Savior. And after they trusted Christ, 
They went out in the community and shared this message with everybody. They were on fire. They were earnestly contending for this faith, this belief that they had been taught. They even shared it with a guy that lived from Wasika that had some property in the area. This guy got saved. This guy gave him a portion of land, 14 acres of land. These guys the next year sawed down trees, sawed lumber, and they built a church. They wanted a church. This group of people wanted to be taught the Word of God clearly and accurately because they were on fire for the Lord. After the next year, they built a Bible camp. And they were on fire. They were as hot as it can get. They were going out in the community, bringing kids in. And for many, many summers, many kids heard the gospel at that camp, the good news that they heard. And many, many kids trusted Christ their Savior. And this is a story that we probably hear over and over and over again. But this church, after 10 years, had about 50 people in it. The church was growing. And then after 20 years, this church was up to 75 people. After 25 years, things started to change. Things started to dwindle. People weren't coming out as often, and you wonder why. And after 30 years of this church existence, there was no more Sunday night service, no more Wednesday night service, because there wasn't enough people. There wasn't enough people anymore. You ask, what replaced worship in these people that they didn't want to come out and worship in the church? Well, the world. The world was taken over in their minds, and they weren't earnestly contending for the faith anymore. That, that fire had dwindled. That passion had, was dying. You know, this story is played out everywhere in the United States of America, and even in our world. We'll pick up this story later and finish it, but earnestly contend for the faith. We want to look at our passage here, Jude, verses 1 through 4. First of all, I want to see a raise of hand. Who has ever studied the book of Jude all the way through front to back? Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's, that, that's two more than I had in Grand Rapids, so you guys are doing really good. <laughs> this is not a book we study, right? It's not a book, but this is a book that's it's, it's got a wealth of knowledge in it. Some, just some really encouraging passages. So let's read Jude 1 through 4. It says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which once for all was delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our Lord, the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, us as saints, we cannot forget the spiritual battle win. You know, that's why this pastor scripture is, is so important. See, Jude is pleading for these believers to earnestly contend for the faith. What they have been taught 
starting with the gospel. Because these false teachers are going to sneak in. And some of these false teachers are going to be within. They're going to be from within the church. Inside influences, inside job. And they draw people away from the faith, things they've been taught before. And the question I ask is, anything changed in America today? Is anything changed in any of these churches? It's a battle. So that's why we must properly discern the Word of God, know the Word of God, so that when these questions come up, these problems come up, we can identify these truths. See, there's many verses in the Bible that warn of these false teachers. This isn't the first passage. I'm sure you're aware of. In Acts 20.28, a pastor, scripture pastor, went over recently, I'm sure. It says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among, the, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This letter to the Ephesus elders to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in from among you. Among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples for themselves, this team building. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn you. Everyone, night and day with tears. So Paul, we're going to see in this next passage as well, is warning these believers that these false teachers are going to come in. They're going to infiltrate the body of believers. We see in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, we know the context of this book of Galatians was law and between the Jews and the Gentiles. Peter was preaching, the, he was hanging out with the Jews until Paul came along, and, and uh, you know the issues and the controversies there where Paul, had to, or Paul, Pe, Paul rebuked Peter. But then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, the same gospel to the Jews and to the Gentiles, but privately to those who are of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, a Jewish tradition. And this occurred because false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into this bondage. And notice this. But to yet to him, but whom we did not yield submission for even an hour. It didn't give them any time to yield no time. We did not yield to them. We didn't give them any time that the truth of the gospel might continue in you. See, these elders, these teachers were protecting these believers. And we notice also Paul's charge to Timothy. We're very familiar with this passage. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Paul tells Timothy, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his and his kingdom. Preach the word, Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For a time will come when they will not endure sound teaching. 
They will not endure. But according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth. And they'll be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of the evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. You see, there's many passages in the Bible that talk about these false teachers. These false teachers that are coming. Our parallel passage to Jude is 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 says, But there were also false teachers among the brethren. Notice this word, we've seen it many times, among, within. Even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed or spoken against. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle. And their destruction does not slumber. Does not slumber. You see, there's many passages warning us that these false teachers are coming. But what's unique about the book of Jude is Jude is saying they're here. They're here. They're here. The book of Jude is an amazing letter. Again, as we study it, we turn back over there. Well, I guess you guys have it page over in your Bible, these verses. But Jude is an amazing letter that was written by inspiration of God to wake us up. To wake us up to the dangers of these false teaching and this apostasy, this departure from the faith. There's an outline here on the screen of the book. We'll just go over it quickly. The salutations is in verses 1 through 2. The warnings concerning these false teachers and apostates are in verses 3 through 4. And then Jude's going to give us some examples in the past of apostate. Some of these are believers, the children of Israel. He's going to talk about angels. He's going to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. Then he's going to tell us about the actions of apostates in the present, verses 8 through 16. What describes these people? They reject authority. They walk in error. They lead falsely. They are self-pleasers. Then he gives us at the end of the book, verses 17 through 23, some guidelines for avoiding this apostasy. Apostasy. You know, we don't know a lot about Jude, this person Jude, because we haven't studied him. But we do know he was a follower of Jesus. So let's take a look at Jude and make some observations. We can look at verse 1. Unlike letters of our day, where writers sign their name at the end, in the first century, these authors signed their name right in the beginning. So let's look, take a look at the prescript of Jude here. Jude chapter 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, brother of James. Who is this man, Jude? He is a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Well, doesn't that make him a half-brother of Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. Makes him a half-brother. What do we know about Jude? We know that he was born to Mary and Joseph, making him a half-brother to Jesus Christ. He was one of the five brothers among James, Joseph, Simon, and Jesus. He was a half-brother. 
I mean, if, if you think about that, imagine being, growing up, being a half-brother to Jesus Christ. Totally sinless. He doesn't do anything wrong. He doesn't get up during the night and steal some cookies from the cookie jar. He always, always did things right. He was an example. He was a teacher. Imagine being part of this family. What do we know about his upbringing? We, we know that he was part of these five brothers. And we know also that Jude, along with his brothers, initially didn't trust, didn't believe in Jesus Christ, their Savior. They didn't believe. They didn't think he was the Savior until after his resurrection. We see in John chapter 7, verse 5, it says in the context of Jesus was preaching in the synagogue, he says, for even his brothers did not believe him. His brothers didn't believe him. They didn't believe he was the Christ, he was the Messiah coming to save him. They didn't believe him. But we know in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, that when the group of believers there were waiting for the Holy Spirit the day of Pentecost, it says, these all continued in one accord with prayer and supplication with the women and with the mother, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Among these brothers was Jude. Jude. He was one of the, one of the believers awaiting this Holy Spirit. We also know more about his background. He, he didn't even consider himself an apostle. Instead, what does it say? He considered himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And we know that Jude from history was an early church leader in the outskirts of Jerusalem. We know James was a leader in Jerusalem and, and Jude was on the outskirts. This word bondservant carries the idea of, of a life indebtedness to something. He owes his life to somebody for something. See, after trusting Christ as his Savior, Jude was more than willing to serve Jesus Christ as his Savior, not his brother. Out of love and gratitude for the grace and the undeserved blessings in his life. He was a bondservant. Jude is the writer, the author of this letter. Next, we're going to see who he was writing to. The recipients of this letter were believers in Christ. They were believers in Christ. People that who have accepted this free gift of salvation. Believers in Christ. How do we know that? Well, the verse tells us right here. Jude chapter 1, it says, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Jude has a unique style here that many of the authors of the New Testament have. His genre, he, he writes in triads. He writes in groups of three. In this book, just this one chapter, there's more than 20 triads that Jude is going to. These are truths, that words that are grouped into groups of three. This is the first one, where it says, called, sanctified, and preserved. We're going to see more of these triads in future studies, but verses 5 through 7 is some about the examples, and it's just an interesting writing style. He's a very unique writer. And we notice first is that it says, to those who are called. 
called. This word is only used 11 times, this Greek word here. Those who are called. This idea of these believers being called here is a description of these saints. As God called them by the gospel in which they chose to respond to positively to believe in the message they heard by trusting Jesus Christ alone. You know, this word called is a, a difficult one in certain circles. Religion has confused this word called, which places doubts in people's mind at whether they are a special one that is called to be saved. But the Bible says just the opposite. God is not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance, a change of mind and trust Jesus Christ their Savior. We can clarify that word with this following verse. So the spiritual position and blessing of these recipients, they're called, sanctified, and preserved. Called, sanctified, and preserved. So this verse in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, helps us understand this word called. This is the ESV version. It says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers. This is Paul writing to the church of Thessalonica. Brothers beloved by God. Brothers beloved by God are believers in Christ, right? Because why? God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. From the beginning, God knew you would be saved. How did, how did he choose you? Through sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through what? He called you through something, our gospel. See, this is how we're called. We're called through a gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This word called here is in the Aorist active indicative. It means that you must make a choice. Am I going to believe this message of the gospel or am I going to reject this message? So it's a, a choice we have to make. Yet the biblical balance is while God calls sinners to the gospel, to salvation, we have to choose to respond to this divine summon to salvation by belief in the truth. We know many people that choose not to believe in the truth, right? So God in his omniscience, all-knowing God he is, knew who would trust Christ as Savior, knew who would make the choice to accept that free gift of salvation. You know, it's so often we want to put God in a box. And we share at Fairy Evangelism how God died, or Jesus Christ died 2,000 years ago for the sins of all mankind, and even for us who weren't born. So God in his omniscience knew every sin I was going to commit. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. Did he know who would trust Christ as a Savior? Yeah, he knew. God knew. So we see this called, sanctified, and preserved. This word sanctified here is a word that means to be set apart in position or in practice. To treat as holy for God and first purposes. See, positionally, when we trusted Christ as our Savior, 
we accepted that message, that free gift of eternal life, we were sanctified. We were set apart and made holy in God's eyes. But practice, in our practice, that's an ongoing sanctification as we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, right? This word sanctified describes the divine act of setting aside something or something that is sacred. Sacred. This positional sanctification took place in the past when these believers trusted Christ their Savior. They were set apart now. They were positionally sanctified and now they're being practically sanctified. And this, this truth of sanctification practically is true of all of us as we're living this Christian life. As we're growing in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. You know, that's the reason why Paul could greet this church in Corneth. We know that the church in Corneth was a carnal church. It was made up of believers that were living outside the will of God. Verse 1 says, To the church of God which is at Corneth, to those who are sanctified in Christ called saints. Dear believers, God sanctifies us in Christ. We are in Christ. We're set apart from being in Adam where we were before in sin to now in Christ. When God looks down at us, He sees us in Christ. And it's all by His grace. All by His grace. We deserve the opposite. So are we living consistent with who we are in Christ? That's what Jude is exhorting these believers to. So we've observed that these believers are called by God through the gospel in which they believed it. And then they were set apart, sanctified by God in Jesus Christ. Now thirdly, we observed that they are preserved. Preserved. I just, I just love this. this. The word of God is so complete. Preserved. This word preserved means to be kept. It means to be carries the idea of being guarded or kept for a certain purpose. The action of this keeping we see here is we're preserved in what? In Jesus Christ. This is in the passive voice. Jesus Christ is doing the keeping. It's no longer us making a choice of whether or not we're going to be preserved or eternally secure, but Jesus Christ is doing the keeping. We're the recipient. These believers are the recipients in Christ. This positional truth and eternal security, this, this is established all by Jesus Christ and His grace and faith for us. Jesus Christ not only saves the lost sinners, but He keeps them. He keeps them. And that, to, to see that and to understand that is, is so important. Hallelujah. We have a Savior that just didn't save us and said, well, now you're on your own. No, we've got, we got a Savior that keeps us. But a Savior that wants us to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior. A Savior that wants us to earnestly contend for the faith. Only true Christianity and salvation by God's grace can offer this assurance of eternal security. You know, some religions will tell you, you cannot know 100% sure. 
that you have everlasting life. We know that's not true, right? We know 1 John 5.13. These things are written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. You may know. What a great truth. This word is used here in 1 Peter 1, 3-5 as well. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, reserved for you in heaven, who are kept, here's our word, kept by the power of God through faith, for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Just amazing verses of eternal security. These believers are preserved. You know, i got to tell you, the first time I ever seen this, this chart, Pastor Sean showed us in Grand Rapids, and I thought, whoa, what's going on here? <laughs> There's no three ways. But as I learned this throughout the years, I mean, things just came alive to me in the Word of God. This, this justification, sanctification, glorification. Because I was stuck on Hebrews 10.10. 10. How we were sanctified at the point of justification. I'm already sanctified. Until I understood and realized these verses, that this is a progressive sanctification. Never read Hebrews 10.13, which says we're being sanctified. We just thought we already arrived. We're there. And so it was just great for me to learn this. And now we see this mercy, peace, or we see this uh, called, sanctified, and preserved. We see it here. We're, we're called right here. We're sanctified and we're preserved. It's just, it's just so complete. So in this letter we've seen so far is written to believers, right? These are growth truths. These ain't truths for an unbeliever. And now we see that Jude possessed a strong desire for these believers. He really had a desire for these believers. We're going to see that Jude desired that these believers greatly increase in mercy, peace, and love. Mercy, peace, and love. Greatly increase. Notice another triad. Mercy, peace, and love. These, these groups of three. Now what do these words mean? And why do we need them multiplied in our lives? First of all, God offers us His daily mercy, peace, and love, right? Mercy is an idea that carries the sense of having a compassion at our point of need. Mercy is not giving us what we do deserve, right? We deserve hell, but in God and His mercy gives us the opposite. In His grace, He gives us eternal life. You know, Jude was encouraging these believers here at this church because he knew what they were going to face in the trials going forward. He knew these false teachers were there and they were already causing problems. So he was encouraging them. Man, realize who you are in Christ. His mercy is there for you. I'm reminded of these two passages. Lamentations 3, 22-24. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because of His compassions fail not. And we deserve to be consumed, but because of His mercy we're not. They are new every morning His mercy is. Great is your faithfulness, God. 
For the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, my hope is in you, God. Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly a throne of grace that we may obtain mercy, find grace and help in our time of need. You know, these believers in their spiritual battle, they're facing with these false teachers. They needed mercy, but they also needed to show mercy to other people. They needed to show God's love through them to others outside as well. You know, it's hard to be motivated to have compassion on others when those who are struggling or failing, we don't feel like they're worth our mercy. But were we deserving of God's mercy in our lives? No, not at all. Not at all. But thank God for His mercy. Not only does Jude wish that God's mercy be multiplied to these believers, secondly, we observe the word peace. He said peace be multiplied. Now this word peace can refer to the rest of the soul which God alone provides. This harmonious relationship with God. We know that we were reconciled to God we had peace with God when we trusted Christ as our Savior. Since this, these believers already come to possess peace with God, they're already saved, so they had that peace with God. What Jude was wishing for them to be multiplied upon them was a the peace of God that passes all understanding. The peace of God. That is what God is offering us every single day. You know, instead of the anxieties we deal with with work and bosses and co-workers and people, sometimes even our spouse, some anxieties in life, we can have peace in all those trials as we understand the Word of God and understand how to respond to a trial, a situation in life. So God's offering you and me these same conditional blessings today for the faith. They're conditional, remember, because we must choose by faith to access them. They're there for us. He's offering you mercy for your trials. He's offering you peace for the challenges we face every day. And next, he offers love. This word agape, this Greek word agape, is used for a strong loyal commitment to something or someone. This term, was, we know, was set forth in John 3.16. God's love the world. And He gave His only begotten Son. It's, it's, he loves us. This is a term that sometimes gets diluted. We want to keep this term pure. We want to remember who the source of this love is. It's God. Keep in mind that you don't have to perform for this love. God loved us in spite of just who we are. And sometimes that can be mind-boggling how God in the condition we are, He still loves us. So you notice these three blessings. Mercy, peace, and love. Jude desires that these are greatly multiplied in these believers' lives. You know, that's the... That's the wish of every pastor, elder in every church, right? That these be greatly multiplied. 
Jude wants his readers, as long, along with the believers here, to enjoy of an experience of a greater relationship with God through understanding his character, who God is, and his mercy, peace, and love. Just an amazing, amazing group of wishes Jude had. So once again, we're going to see that Jude is not asking these believers to produce these, but these are in the passive voice. These are all things that are given to them. This is a, a prayer wish. I think you've studied prayer wishes before. The subjunctive, it's not a guarantee. So this is something that is a wish of Jude's and a wish of God's that we would access, we would plug into this mercy, peace, and love. His love for the saints, Jude desires, would, Jude desires that God would give them abundantly daily these three things. So in verses 1 and 2, we've seen the author of the book, Jude. We've seen the audience, the recipients were believers in Christ. This powerful, passionate letter. Also, we see Jude's wish for these saints here at the church. Now, all these issues bring us to the point at hand. The purpose for Jude writing this letter. What are they? Let's now observe the pressing issue Jude addresses with his believers. How does Jude de- describe these believers here in verse 3? He said, Beloved. Beloved. Again, this is a root term for agape. See, these are people that are loved. And we write letters, we write, Dear so and so. Jude wrote, Beloved. These saints that he loved dearly. said, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you. Very diligent. Notice the conviction of Jude and the sensitivity of the need of this congregation. What these people needed to hear. And how it was very important. It said, For I was diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. Our common salvation but I found it necessary to write to you about a different subject. A different subject. I'm going to change subjects. What was the subject Jude was going to write about? This exhortation, this warning. This warning. Why did he leave this planned topic? Because this is what the congregation needed. You know, how often are we in a, in a study of the life of Christ or uh, Esther or... Titus, and there's a pressing issue that needs to be addressed. And so the leadership addresses that. They teach that, that principle. It's what the congregation needs to hear. Talks about our common salvation here in this verse. This common salvation. This is common or shared. This was a belief in Jesus Christ and the teaching that they had received. Jude went from encouraging these believers about this common salvation to now exhorting them. Exhorting them. The question I have is, do we exhort, encourage other believers? Those are even not even part of the church. 
know, it was really neat for me at family camp as we got to sit around the fire. We got to share stories with people that I didn't even know before. I met some of you people there. And it's so encouraging for a believer in Christ to hear somebody else's story how they got saved. Hear how they come to the Lord. And hear how the Lord has used them and changed their life. It's just so encouraging for a believer. Bert even shared his testimony around the fire. Never heard it before personally. It was very encouraging. So we can build others up, each other up. We can encourage each other. You know, but the opposite can be true as well. I think of a story about a young girl. Young girl, three years old, four years old. Asked her mother, Mom, why do you have those white things in your hair? And the girl said, well, that's because every time you sin, I get another gray hair. And this young, innocent girl thought for a minute. And she said, oh, now I know why grandma's hair is all white. <laughs> so, so we can encourage people. We can tear people down. We can encourage believers. So what is the gospel that he's talking about here? What is this common salvation that he's talking about? That he's telling them to exhort you. What is he referring to, this common salvation? This shared message. This message that was shared among these recipients. Here we don't know how these people were saved, but we do know that they heard the gospel. So what is the gospel? We, we, we know 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, in which you received it, in which you stand, by which also you are saved. You are saved when you put your belief in it. It says in verse 11 here, If you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, unless it was all for nothing, still you're preserved. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. He received the same message. Paul did here, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the Gospel message. John 3.16, a verse we all know well, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the only message that can change our eternal destiny from this highway to hell that we're on to eternity in heaven with our Heavenly Father by simply placing our faith in the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's the only thing that can save us. So what is the gospel not? Fairy evangelism, you hear a lot of these false responses. It's not Jesus Christ plus get baptized. Or Jesus Christ, make Him Lord of your life. Or... Turn from your sins. Or ask Jesus into your heart. Or good works outweigh your bad. Or making a commitment to Christ. Another one we hear a lot is confess with your mouth. And these are all false responses to the gospel. That's why grace is so important. One of the questions we asked if at the fair survey is, you know what grace means? And you know, I'd say 85% of people have no idea what grace means. No idea. Why do we need to understand grace? Because grace is the basis of our justification. 
We deserve hell, but by God's mercy, we can receive everlasting life. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Grace is also the basis for our sanctification. This growing in the grace and knowledge of Lord and Savior. We see in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound? Certainly not. It's all by God's grace. We live this Christian life the same way we got saved, by God's grace. Grace is so important to understand because someday we're going to be glorified. Someday we're going to enjoy the presence, be in the presence of our Heavenly Father. What an amazing promise we have as believers in Christ. But I wonder, how many of us take it for, for advantage? We don't realize what we have in Christ. We don't realize all these blessings that He wants to give us. We don't realize how we've been taught for many, many, many years this faith that we're to earnestly contend for. Now let's get to the reason Jude is exhorting these believers. He said, Beloved, I found it necessary to write to you to exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. Contend earnestly for the faith. So why did Jude change his topic from this common salvation? Because he found it of utmost importance. This was the most important thing right now in these believers' lives is that they needed to be exhorted. They need to be brought along, urged strongly. How often is our exhortation really light so that we don't offend somebody? But this exhortation was strong. He wanted to earnestly contend for the faith because he loved these people. He loved them. And he exhorted them. He, it says he exhorted them to contend earnestly. To contend is, is from the Greek word agon. It means to agonize, to struggle. To the point of death even. A strenuous struggle to overcome an opponent. So this, these weren't small words. These were, these were words that packed a punch. This word carries the sense of laying everything on the line for a purpose in order to prevail in this fight. Saints, we're in a fight. You and I are in this fight. Will we lay it on the line? What are they agonizing or contending or struggling for? For the faith. It says here, for the faith. This refers to the Christian faith of sound doctrine. Beginning with this gospel of grace. This gospel of message that we trusted in. And then this teaching that we receive. Therefore, Jude is imploring and urging these people to fight for this gospel message. Fight for this faith that they've been taught. You know, if you have here at the DBC been taught clearly for many, many, many years, Pastor Roxy would tell you 40 years, but many, many, many years, so you've been taught truths that people have not been taught, myself included. They're so precious. They're so precious when you understand the difference between lordship salvation In other religions, 
how we can discern the difference doctrine if something's not right right away your your flag goes up and say no that's not right I don't, that, that's not what the bible says that's not what i've been taught so we can be taught these things we can deposit it in our mind so that not only for the purpose of having knowledge in our mind but for to engage in other people with relationships and be able to teach them and encourage them you know I, it's so exciting that this message of faith was common it was shared. It's a message that saves us and a message that keeps us. And now we're going to see that this message was delivered to the saints. This message had been previously delivered to them, taught them. Now, how often do we forget what we've been taught? Sometimes we walk outside the door and we forget even what the message was about and how it pertained to me. But yet sometimes, it makes an impact on our thinking, doesn't it? It makes an impact on our way of life. And that's what the message is designed to do. It's designed to make you think. This message was delivered to the people, this faith. For what reason? Well, we have the opportunity to share our faith, the faith of the gospel, with our neighbors, with our co-workers, with other people we know. Our family. This is a special privilege we have. This agonizing for the faith is a privilege that we should, that should be our desire, should be the desire of us as well. But why is this necessary? Why was this so necessary for these unbelievers? We're going to see that this pronouncements that the false teachers have arrived. These false teachers have arrived. We see in verse 4, For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. These certain men. These men are creeps. It's kind of a goofy word, creeps, isn't it? They've crept in unnoticed. They slipped in stealthily. They snuck in to these church gatherings. Who are these false teachers? These certain men, this is the word anthropos, is what can be men or women. Women, you're not excluded from this. And today, in so-called Christian circles, we have false teachers that are men and women. So they've snuck in unnoticed they've been marked out for condemnation a description of these false teachers I want to show you in verse 12 this is really neat to see the verse 12 here of Jude says these are spots in your love feasts while they feast with you without fear serving only themselves this word spots here carries the idea of a of a rock that's underwater it's not visible we like to call them deadheads. So when we're motoring in the lake, we're watching out for rocks and deadheads. These false teachers are described as spots in their love feast or their gatherings together as they gathered to have a meal before the Lord's Supper. They're unnoticed. They're stealthily. They'll infiltrate the local church. So have you ever heard of the Battle of the Bulge? It was a major German offensive 
campaign on the Western Front of, during World War II. This Battle of the Bulge was one of the largest and bloodiest single battle that the United States fought in World War II. It was the third deadliest campaign in the United States history. 19,000 Americans were killed in this battle. 89,500 were hurt. Over 3,000 civilians died in this battle. This battle took place on December 16, 1944. It lasted for 39 days, just 39 days, till January 25th. See, the Germans' objective in this Battle of the Bulge was to split the Allied troops and stop these Western allies from getting to the controlling the port of Antwerp, which was a supply chain port for them. We see this in the map. Antwerp is up here. The American forces were defending that. This terrain of this battle was densely forested, and, and Adolf Hitler, the German leader, he chose to make his offensive on these Allied forces during the coldest months of the year because he knew these Americans were probably powder puffs, that they weren't equipped for winter battle. They weren't winter battle ready. They weren't ready for it. The Germans achieved a total surprise. In the morning of December 16th, due to the combination of the troops being overconfident, thinking that there's no way they can be defeated, and poor reconnaissance, Hitler attacked. It was interesting during this battle that the Nazis used a strategy of infiltration. Infiltration. They infiltrated the, the Allied troops by using paratroopers to parachute into behind enemy lines in with the American troops. Remember, these are Allied troops, so they were more than just Americans. They were French, Belgian, Dutch. These German troops were dressed like American soldiers, and they even actually spoke English. What these German soldiers did was they changed road signs. They spread misinformation amongst the troops and the American soldiers. And they actually killed a lot of Americans behind their back. You know, these Nazi infiltrators, they were groomed for this mission. They knew that if they were caught, they were probably going to face death. But they were, it was worth it to them. To stop these infiltrators... When a suspected German was caught or a person who thought they was an infiltrator caught, they would ask him some interesting questions that are specific to Americans. Like, what is the capital of Illinois? And if they didn't know Springfield, which we probably, some of us don't know what Springfield is. Another question they asked them was, uh, in the American football team, in the offensive line, what was the position of the guard and the tackle? I mean, every guy knows that that watches football. So they would question them with these questions to try to figure out if they knew these answers and knew if they were infiltrators. Now you may be asking yourself, what does this have to do with the book of Jude that we're studying today? And we can't forget this struggle we're in, this spiritual battle we're in. Thus, in this passage today, Jude is pleading for us believers in Christ to earnestly contend for the faith. Because infiltrators have come. Infiltrators are here in this local church. 
Again, I ask you the question, has anything changed today? What is happening to sound doctrinal Bible teaching? Why are they disappearing? Why is the message changed? You know, the false teachers of Jude, they were just like these Nazi German soldiers who desired to disrupt and confuse the American soldiers in this battle. You know, they spoke the same language. They dressed the same way. They thought they were on the same team. False teachers back then, as well as now, are the same. And that's what Jude is warning these believers about. False teachers come in many different versions, don't they? Many different versions. They don't look like the enemy, right? They don't have horns to identify them or certain attributes that you would use to identify somebody. No, these false teachers blended right in. But how they were distracting the believers, drawing the believers away from these spiritual truths was the problem. So what, what, what is this question here that I'm going to ask you? Would you be able to identify these false teachers? Would you be able to identify them? And how do we identify false teachers? Well, it's definitely not by how they dress or how they look. It's about what they believe. What they say, what they believe. You know, we know when a Jehovah Witness comes to our door, we know that they're teaching a message that's false. And so we can identify that. Or we hear a teacher with some lordship views integrated in his message. We, 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 we're taught to identify, to know that that's false. But what about internet, TV, all these different preachers? Now we can hook up to anyone around the world. Would you be able to listen to that and identify that and see that that's not, that's not right? These, these false teachers here in the book of Jude, they con believers into thinking... They were saved. Their sins were paid for. And because their sins were paid for, they're promoting a thing called license. We're going to see that here now. These false teachers are sneaky. You know, we all know someone who's sneaky by nature. I think of a cat right away as an animal. It's just sneaky by nature. Also, these false teachers were not only creeps, they were also ungodly. They're ungodly. And they turn grace into license. They're ungodly. They were marked off for the ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness. Lewdness, lasciviousness, license. License. So what does this term mean? This lewdness or license. Zuck and Wolvard in their book, the Bible Knowledge Commentary, captured this very well. It says, these believers, or these false teachers now, were claiming liberty in Christ. They interpreted His grace as a license to do what their flesh desired with no limits. Their liberalism turned grace into barbarous lasciviousness. These antinomians declared that since the flesh was not created by God, it was proper to give it into its desires. Not surprisingly, this perversion in practice was accompanied by the perversion in doctrine, a denial of 
the person and authority of Jesus Christ. Walvoord and Zuck. So he, he used some big words in here. This first word, lasciviousness, is a lack of legal or moral restraints. So a, a belief in nothing controls me. I can do with everything I want. It's a total disregard for strict rules or correctness. This lasciviousness. What is antinomianism? Antinomianism, anti, meaning opposite in law, nomianism, is to be free from the ceremonial law, which is the gospel, liberty, and to pretend freedom from the moral law. That's a description of antinomianism. They were free. Because they were free from the law, now they can do whatever they please. Moral law. This is what these false teachers were pushing upon the believers. These false teachers could have been carnal believers as well. You know, it doesn't describe right away or tell us clearly that these false teachers were unsaved. It's going to further on in the passage describe some unbelieving false teachers. But they could be carnal believers from within. Cling to the flesh. As we have seen from their actions, they're ungodly. They're clinging to the flesh. We see also that these false teachers have turned or perverted the teaching of grace into a license to sin. A license to sin. The license was the problem or objection that Paul anticipated in Romans chapter 6. Remember, we talked about that scripture earlier. While salvation from God's grace alone through faith in Christ alone along with eternal security, is a part of this sound doctrine, this faith. God's grace was never designed to be a license to sin. It was just the opposite. It should motivate us out of His love to love Him and want to serve Him, not do the opposite. But that's what these false teachers were pushing. That since... You've trusted Christ your Savior since you're sanctified, since you're preserved. Now you can live any way you like with no consequences. We know that's not true. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We're all, all believers are going to appear before God. Not to answer for sin, but be rewarded for what we did with our bodies after we trusted Christ our Savior. See, we should have an an attitude of gratitude towards our Savior and want to serve Him out of love, the same love that He showed us. And instead of, again, as grace promoting sin, grace should actually promote holiness. But this is a process. This isn't something that happens the moment you are saved since you trust Christ your Savior. I'm going to skip this next slide for time's sake I don't even know what time it is I don't know oh, what time am I supposed to be done oh. okay we better get going these infiltrators were also denying the sovereignty of God in the deed of, of our Lord Jesus Christ to deny means to disown to deny to, it carries a sense of idea of refusing to recognize who these people were these ungodly people had snuck into the church they twisted 
grace into license, and they also were denying the deity of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Dear friends, it's not uncommon for false teachers to deny the deity of Jesus Christ and the sovereignty of God. This is an MO of false teachers. And that's exactly what these guys were doing. In our study of Jude, we've seen who Jude is. We've seen his posture of this humble servant in Jesus Christ. We observed that Jude is writing to believers who were called by the gospel. They were sanctified positionally in Christ. They're kept forever. These believers have an access to this daily grace provisions of mercy, grace, and love, which they need, we need, in this spiritual battle. We notice in verses 3 and 4, the reason why Jude wrote this letter for this immediate problem at hand is an urgent exhortation to fight or contend for this faith because the false teachers are here. They've infiltrated the church. And they're turning grace into license. It's a powerful, powerful passage. Let's bring this to a close by learning some lessons. What scriptural lessons can you and I learn from this book of Jude? Or from these first four verses? We are called, sanctified positionally, preserved forever when we place our trust, our faith in Christ alone. You and I are called. We're sanctified positionally. We're preserved forever. What amazing truths some are we have as believers in Christ once we are saved, once we place our faith in Jesus Christ alone. We can also enjoy God's multiplied mercy, peace, and love each day for the challenges we face. This was His wish for you and me as well. This is God's wish for you and me as well that we access, we plug into these spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. We receive this message of faith starting with the gospel. All of us in different times, we receive this message of faith. Starting with the gospel of grace. We must be willing to contend for the clarity of the gospel and the sound doctrinal principles we have been taught. We must be willing to contend, earnestly contend for the clarity of the gospel and the sound doctrinal principles we have been taught. We must identify these false teachers who attempt to revert the message of God's grace into a license to sin. We must identify these people, whether they're carnal believers, whether they're unbelieving false teachers, who attempt to pervert the message of God's grace into a license to sin. So remember that church I talked to you about in the beginning? That was, that was my church. <laughs> that was where I grew up. And this church thrived. I was born in this church. I grew in this church. It was a thriving church. These guys were passionate about the gospel. They were earnestly contending for the faith. And then the pastor, my dad, died suddenly. After 38 years, that church collapsed within a year and a half. Why? <laughs> because we didn't earnestly contend for the faith. We didn't take that, that information we were taught all these years and we didn't apply it. We didn't understand the Christian life. So these trials came along and we collapsed. 
No one was trained to take over the pulpit. It was devastating. But you know what? God works all things out for good. Romans 8, 28. By God's mercy, Tammy and I were directed to IBC, to Pastor Sean. We started to get taught the Word of God. The three tenths of salvation. And you know what? We take advantage of our pastors, our leadership, our teachers. And I, I vowed it wasn't going to happen to me again. I'm going to support my pastor. Support our pastors. You've got great leadership here. You've got Tom, Pastor Tom taking over with Kurt. Support your pastor. Don't take them for granted. Remember who they are. They're precious to God. They were appointed by God. So what does all this mean? So if you personally here haven't trusted Christ your Savior, you haven't trusted Jesus Christ to save you from the penalty of sin, you can't earnestly contend for the faith. Your greatest need is to trust Christ as your personal Savior. Place 100% of your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and receive everlasting life. Why not this very night would you trust Christ your Savior if you haven't already? Do this right now. And if you're already saved, you placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you're saved from this penalty of hell. You're given all these spiritual blessings. Will you be willing to guard this gospel message from false teachers? Will you earnestly contend for this faith that you've received? All these years of teaching. As the trials that are going to come along with you guys going forward, you must earnestly contend for the faith. You know, the stakes couldn't be any higher for you guys here at DBC or us at IBC. It couldn't be any higher. Will our future generations, will our children, will our grandchildren, will they hear this clear gospel message from you and me? Or will we drop the football? Will we drop the ball? Jude is exhorting you to earnestly contend for this faith. Paul and Peter are exhorting you to earnestly contend for this faith. Run this race, earnestly contend. We close in this verse here tonight, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore we also, believers, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, all these believers that went before us, let us lay aside these weights and this sin that so easily ensnares us, that draws us away from this precious gospel message. Let us run this race with endurance. We're going to need. We're going to need endurance in this spiritual battle. It's not day by day, but it's moment by moment we're in this battle. This race that was run before us, looking unto Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. What a great example we have, Jesus Christ, who ran this race. We can look to him, how he endured the cross. He despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God, at the throne of God. What an encouragement this is. What an encouragement. We can earnestly contend for the faith. You can earnestly contend for the faith. Fair evangelism's coming up. Great opportunity to sign up. Oh, I will. I want to. I want to teach this gospel message. 
we can earnestly contend for the faith. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for these amazing truths here in the book of Jude. We just thank you for these believers. We thank you for your long-suffering with us. We thank you for your mercy, your peace, and your love, your grace that you show us every single day. We're thankful for this gospel message. We're thankful for the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We died and paid for our sins. And he offers to us eternal life freely by simply accepting that free gift. Please pray for these saints here at DBC going forward. We think of even our church at home, IBC. We think of these spiritual battles we're in. Please pray for the saints. We just pray for encouragement to their soul that they can earnestly contend for the faith. They can strive together for the sake of the gospel. We can be of one mind, one accord, with the same love that you had for us, we can have for other people to share this gospel message with them. May we not take it for granted, Lord. We just thank you for tonight. We thank you for our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. His name we pray. Amen.